Sure, appreciate that. That's gone before. I apologize, Brother Bill, that I didn't give you the microphone, but I think you did just fine. Without it. All right. um, the uh, passage of scripture I have on my mind this morning is in uh, the Second Corinthians chapter four. So you can imagine my delight in Brother Bill uh, opening in uh, the book of Corinthians, and essentially, uh, if what Brother Bill uh, taught us is true, and since it's true. Um, it would be a great benefit to us, probably in anything else that we've read in First or Second Corinthians. And it's interesting as Brother Bill laid out those three uh, columns in that foundation, and I should have known it when he said three, right? When you think about there being three in in the Word of God, what that, how that would come out. But he said number one was that God would receive the glory. Number two was that we know spiritual things by the Spirit. And number three, there's no other foundation can be laid but Christ Jesus. So that's God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, right? So we see those three working together um, in so many ways, right? And in good things, those three work together. And it's not like a, well, maybe it is like a three-legged stool, but they're always in agreement. There's never a case where the Father and the Son are doing something and the Spirit's not, you know, like, oh, I'm not so sure about that, right? The the Spirit is, is working in whatever the Father and the Son are doing, and the Father and the Spirit are working in what the Son is doing because He is one God and manifests Himself in these uh, three persons of the Trinity. Um, the other thing that Brother uh, Bill mentioned that I think would be beneficial for us to put a pin in before we get into Second Corinthians chapter 4 is this trial of our faith and the, the, this trial that comes he used the example of building with wood, hay, and stubble, or building with uh, gold, silver, and precious stones. And that trial that comes in that case is fire, and the fire consumes the wood, hay, and stubble, and it actually tries and purifies the foundation and the gold and the silver and the precious stones. Now, there's not many of us that want to be tried that way. Um, you probably would find yourself in one of two circumstances. Either you know that you've built with wood, hay, and stubble, and so the fire is the last thing that you want, or um, it would be kind of haughty and proud to say, oh, well, I've built with only gold, silver, and precious stones. Bring the fire, right? Uh, that, neither one of those would be a very good place to be. So when we think about trial, that's not something that we're ever really in a great place to say, I'm, I'm ready for a trial. But when something's tried... <clears throat> um, while we can focus on the destructive part, right? So when the fire comes and it tries that work, and if there be wood, hay, and stubble, the wood, hay, and stubble suffer loss, right? They, they are destroyed, and we suffer loss, but nevertheless, it's by fire that we're saved, is what the Word of God says. So while there's a destructive part that can come in the trying, um, equally and, and as worthy of your attention this morning is there's a constructive aspect of trial. Right? Um, trial is not just the destruction of things, um, and even if it were just the destruction of things, it would be things that ought to be destroyed. Right? Even if trial just ate up your wood, hay, and stubble, we would be made the better for it, and it would be better that that happened. But there's something positive that happens in trying, not just in the destruction of the negative. Um, in these precious stones and in, in the precious metals, uh, there's a trying and a refining that actually burns out the dross, right? So it didn't just, well, you're, good thing you're not wood, hay, and stubble. You know, you're, you're gold. 
you're going to become better gold. The gold is going to have the, the dross burn out of it. And so what you find is bad things are made gone and good things are made better. Right? Now what that means is there's a constructive aspect of trying and trial. And I think it's one of the things the Apostle Paul is trying to point the Corinthians to. And one of the reasons why I think he's pointing the Corinthians to that is the Corinthians are being tried. Right? If, this, if this weren't your circumstance then it wouldn't hit cl as closely to home that there's some uh, destruction that comes in trial. But the Apostle Paul is telling you, I know you're feeling this trial, and I'm telling you the reason it hurts is because you're suffering loss. Right? He was honest about that. He didn't say, oh, no, it's easy when the Lord tries you. He didn't say that at all. Right? But these were people that were being tried. And so the message for them was, you're being tried... But one of the things that's going to help you prevail, one of the things that's going to help you to survive the trial is to understand some things about the trying, right? Understand this, you know, and there's some, a lot of things people blame God for he has nothing to do with, right? There's some things God get, people give God credit for that honestly I think he has nothing to do with, right? I mean, like, if your team prevails on the football field, I doubt the Lord's really particularly involved, right? Because there are probably people on the other side praying for their team too, right? But there are things that God has done that he doesn't get credit for. There's people that give him credit and blame for all kinds of things. But one of the things the Apostle Paul is willing to acknowledge is the trial of your labor, the trial of your faith, is not something men are doing to you. It's not something the devil's doing to you. This is actually a godly act, right? It's God that tries your faith, okay? And... If we only think about it as being destructive, we might not come to that conclusion, right? We might say, this is rotten, I'm suffering, and I'm, I'm mad at whoever's making me suffer. And if we come to see that it's God that's making us suffer, then we shake our angry fist at God. But what the Apostle Paul is saying is, you're being tried, okay? That is to be expected. And the more that we understand about trial, maybe the better we would um, withstand it. And maybe we'd come out the other end better, right? Because I've actually never gotten better by shaking an angry fist at God, right? I've never um, blamed God for something and said, well, that, that, I feel really good about that. That was, that was the right thing to do, right? So we can handle things in a way that is not good for us and certainly isn't a blessing and a praise to God. And yet, um, the Apostle Paul is looking at the Corinthian people and he's saying, you're being tried. Now, if you read some of the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, you say, I think he's trying them too. Right, um, he's destroying some things that are at Corinth. There's some preacher worship going on, and the Apostle Paul says, "I'll have none of it." Right? I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Right? So he's he's destructive in this message. Right? But again, is the Apostle Paul writing to this church because he wants it to cease to exist? Quite the contrary. Right? If you wanted the Corinthian church to cease to exist, all you had to do was sit back and watch. Right? It was tearing itself up. If you're like, oh, those people don't deserve the gospel, you can just sit back and say, they won't have it for long, right? That candlestick will be taken from them. The Apostle Paul wrote these letters to the churches at Corinth, the, these letters to the church at Corinth because he cared and because he wanted them um, to be better for it, right? So he cares for them and wants to see a blessing for them, which I think as much as there are churches in, in many different circumstances that the Apostle Paul wrote to, the fact that there's a Second Corinthian letter, mm -hmm. um, one, it's just historical for us to know that you know things changed at the at the Church of Corinth. 
But it also, to me, Brother James, tells me something about the Apostle Paul in how much he cared for Corinth that he was going to write a follow-up letter, right? Like, um, maybe, you know, in, in times of uh, chastisement, um, and no, no chastisement at the time uh, seemeth joyous, or else it's not very good chastisement, right? But we've probably all heard this hurts me more than it hurts you, right? But there's also the idea, it should hurt you more than it hurts me, or it's not good chastisement, right? But it may take a while, but after chastisement, there should come this collecting that one in and hugging them and telling them, it's because I love you, right? And that may be the last thing we want to hear after we've been chastised, right? But how much different would chastisement go? How much more effective would, would chastisement be if we saw it as an act of love rather than an act of wrath, right? Because God doesn't chastise us out of his wrath. Matter of fact, God doesn't do anything to you because of his wrath. God's wrath for your sin was spent on Jesus Christ and consumed on Calvary's cross. What God does to you and for you and with you today, he does because he loves you. That's it. If you, if you mourn your sin, if you feel guilty because you said something wrong, did something wrong, um, that's God willing for you to see yourself in a way that you'd turn unto him and, and find consolation, hope in, in his success rather than our failure. So, um, trial doesn't just have a, a negative or a um, consuming or a destructive aspect about it. Um, and again, there's, there are destructive aspects of it, and God has the right to destroy. Right? God created, and he has the right to destroy. And he's chosen to do that before, and he is within his right to do it. And when we build with wood, hay, and stubble, um, I, I've said this about that aspect before, if you build with wood, hay, and stubble, say it's Thursday, right? Long into the week and all you got left is wood, hay, and stubble, right? And you build with wood, hay, and stubble and then maybe by Sunday morning you're feeling better. And Sunday morning you're building with gold and silver and precious stones, right? You know where that gold and silver and precious stones is sitting? On top of wood, hay, and stubble, right? And so what I've, I've found is if, if the wood, hay, and stubble is going to get burnt and removed, I'd rather get burnt and removed sooner rather than later, right? I'd rather have my gold and silver and precious stones sitting on the foundation or sitting on other gold, silver, and precious stones, right? What you realize is that as the fire comes, the part of you that's on the foundation can only be, can only be gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are good things that connect us to God. And it's the wood, hay, and stubble that gets us away from God, right? So what we see in that is we would actually, and it's, it's hard to say it, right? we would welcome the trial, right? We would welcome the loss of the wood, hay, and stubble, okay? If we're seeing it in the right way, right? Because the wood, hay, and stubble is not going to sustain. It's not going to survive. So one other thing about this word try uh, and trial is if, if Brother Bill Mosley and I, if we built a rope bridge across the Colorado River, okay? And he has probably never done that, and I've never done that. And working together, it'd probably be worse, all right? But how about Brother Bill and I, we decide we're going to build a rope uh, pedestrian bridge over the Colorado River, okay? And we get it all rigged up, and we're satisfied with it. And say, Brother Jimmy, have at it, all right? Brother Jimmy, probably, if he's in his right mind, would lack confidence in that bridge, 
right? It would take an act of faith or ignorance, right, uh, or foolishness to, to look at our work and say, well, if Brother Bill and Brother Mark build it, I'm sure it's good, and just trot on out there, right? But whatever it might take, if Brother Jimmy did walk across that rope bridge, okay, it would be easier for Brother David to follow him, right? Because Brother David could say, I wasn't so sure about that bridge, but Brother Jim, Jimmy just walked around. He made it across alive, right? And what happens is that bridge was tried, right? He tried it, right? And until he tried it, it hadn't been tried. And when something hadn't been tried, there's a lot of unknown about it, right? But that's one of the constructive things that comes from trial is something that was untried becomes tried, and then by the time the third or fourth person goes across it, we would say it went from untried to tried. We'd say it's tried and true, right? Tried and true would be like, we've seen it be successful not just once, but uh, gosh, I mean, nobody has died on that bridge, right? Everybody goes across it, gets to the other side. Like, I'm actually not even apprehensive about it now. Like, I, I get that the bridge works, okay? Now, I'll tell you, I've seen some rope bridges that, Nobody ever died going across. I still don't want to get on them, right? But that's a little different. But understand there's a positive, there's a constructive, there's a transformative change that comes from trial. Because something goes from being untried to tried. Something goes from untested to tested. And unproven to proven. You talk about tested and untested, right? Most of the semester in college, you've been untested, and then the midterm comes, Right? What you hope is that you're, you're in pretty good shape and that when the testing comes, that the testing would validate, right? The testing would say, you, you've been listening, you've been going to class, you've been taking notes, like you've been doing your homework, you know what they've been te teaching you, right? And I can tell you this, there were some exams that I, I don't know, I've ever looked forward to, but there's some exams, I'm like, I've got this, like, I've done my homework, I mean, as long as they're testing me on what I've been taught, I'm, I'm okay, there's some tests I didn't feel that way about, right? There was one class I, I fell into a habit of not going to. It was kind of like that dream, that nightmare you have, where you show up for the final exam. It didn't take me to the end of the semester, but it had been a good solid week of a Monday, Wednesday, Friday class, and stuff was moving fast enough that the next Monday when I went, there was a pop quiz. And usually when there's a quiz, a pop quiz, you know, you can guess. Jay, you can get close. Like, you can think, well, I, maybe it's this uh, Complete, I had no clue. Not even, I mean, didn't even know what the words meant. Like, I've got to go to class. So sometimes the examination, the testing, is revealing, right? And some exams say, you don't know what you ought to know. Now, as bad as that feels, right, it's better for that to happen the third week of class than the last week of class, right? And when it happens to our kids, what we tell our kids is, find some help, right? Get a tutor, right? It's educational informative when the trial comes, right? You say, wow, I don't know how to do this at all, right? And, you know, unless it's, you're within Q-drop and you can quit the class, you've got to try to figure out how to do it, right? So there's positive things that come from trial in that it um, can expose or consume weakness. It can draw our attention to areas where we need to improve. And it can try and validate and consummate some things for us. So, so with that and the foundation of God the Father, who is worthy to be praised, and the Spirit, who is worthy to be praised, and the Spirit is 
the very way in which we're able to connect to God because we've been given those spiritual faculties that Brother Bill taught us about. And then finally, there's, there's no point in being called Christian if there's no Christ, right? To be Christ-like uh, is saying he's the foundation. That's where I want to build, okay? Wouldn't do any good to build with, say, well, I'm going to build, I, I got the message, Brother Bill, I'm going to build with gold, silver, and precious stones instead of wood, hay, and stubble. But I'm not going to build on the foundation of Jesus. I'm going to build over here, right? Well, those things don't even fare well where there's no foundation, right? So I'd like to consider with you a passage of Scripture here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And um, I hope and trust that maybe given um, where we are um, and the things that we're experiencing as a people, and um, it, it's not dangerous, but... You know, when, when you open up the floor for prayer requests, you don't know how that's going to go, right? It could be no prayer requests, could be all praises, could be terrible, terrible, uh, weighty news and matter, right? The reason we can do that with some confidence is there's not any prayer request that anybody in here could make, and there's not any praise that anyone in here could offer that isn't reasonable for us to pray about, right? That... Whether it's high or low, whether somebody in here said, I've just found out that I have a terrible illness, right? That would probably rock us all, right? But you know what would be the best thing to do with that? Go to the Lord in prayer, right? Somebody said, we're expecting, would be like, wow, what a great surprise. You know the best thing we could do with that? Go to the Lord in prayer. So if we know we're going to the Lord in prayer and not going to the Lord's in prayer, like the Lord of this and the Lord of that and the master of this and the master of that and the idol for this and the idol for that, Say, well, I'm sorry you're having financial problems. We didn't bring the financial idol today to pray to, right? We've got one God, one God who can watch over health matters, one God who blesses us at the top of the mountain, and the same God who can bless us in the bottom of the valley. So um, how, how fitting it is that we would be able to, um, regardless of our circumstance, go to the Lord in prayer. But here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we'll read uh, through this pretty quickly this morning, but beginning in verse 5, for we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. Now it's squarely built on what he had written, and this is not like the second chapter of 1 Corinthians, this is the second letter to the Corinthians, right? Some time has passed, and it sounds, Brother Bill, like the Apostle Paul is true to the same principles, right? Like what he said in 1 Corinthians I would know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Was Paul crucified for you? God forbid. Right? He's like, it's all about Christ Jesus. And here in the second letter, even though it's a dra dramatically, drastically different Corinthian church that's getting this letter, he's saying the same thing. Just like whether they were in the bottom or whether they're in the top, whether they're in the lows or the highs, he said, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. You know, if the Apostle Paul was like, you know, I really want to be um, esteemed of the Corinthians, but you know, that first Corinthian time, they just couldn't take it. They were already all bound up with preacher worship. I've got to let things settle down. And after Apollos and those others and Barnabas, after they're out of the way, I'll write them again and say, it's all about Paul. <laughs> no, right? Even when that thing had been set to rest, he said, I'll remind you again, we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, this is that first pillar. This doesn't say, I mean, it's talk about Jesus Christ, but this says for God. If you want to know which person of God it is, let's see what it says about God.
For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Now, I'll go ahead and I'm setting a trap, but you can happily walk into it. But that, who is the God that commanded light to shine out of darkness? Is that God the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Well, for right now, I want you to say it's God the Father. However, there's God and the Spirit has made light to shine out of darkness. He does it every time he, he borns a child of God again, right? Jesus Christ suspended between heaven and earth, right? Came to his own, his own refused him not, or his own received him not, right? This was a light shining out of darkness, right? So this is something God does, whether he's in the person of the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. But here I believe the Apostle Paul is talking about the Father God, that creative power of God. God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, what's interesting about that word but is it's a contraction and it's a, con it's a, contract, a contradiction, a word of contrast, rather. Um, so he says, God is shining um, in our lives and, and, sh and can shine out of darkness. In verse 7 it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, I would ask you, is the contrast that um, God has this wonderful thing, but it's coming out of, you know, it's put into the, these earthen vessels, or is the contrast that even though we just have earthen vessels, right, that in and of ourselves, right, there would be no shining at all. We're, we're darkness. The contrast here is, <coughs> though we be dark, God is light, right? So here's something that the Apostle Paul is saying, here's a great blessing, that we have this light shining out of this earthen vessel. Okay? He's not just saying the light of God is so good, but it's, it's in this earthen vessel. Right? However, what we see the conclusion is that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Okay? So the point is, the, this bright light that's shining, it isn't shining from the little spark that's within you. Okay? Your darkness and the light is shining out of you, and that's a testimony that the excellency is the power of God and not of us, okay? That's not of us, the individual, right? But remember, the Apostle Paul is also dealing with a people who have been bound up in preacher worship, right? And one of the things he's telling them is the excellency of the power is of God, not of us, the preachers, right? Because there have been people who were thinking, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus. Like, what light do you have? You know, oh, you've got... Dickie Daniels light. I've got Hewlin Bass light. That's not the way it ought to be, right? The excellency of the power be of God, not of us, right? Not of those that he said are servants, and not of those, us, that are the benefactors of the work of Jesus Christ. Here's some familiar language, and we'll go through this quickly. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Now that sounds to me, and I'm, I'm a columnar thinking, thinker, right? Like, I've got this column and this column, and I'm seeing things over here and things over here, right? We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Perplexed, not in despair. Persecuted, not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed, okay? Sounds like there's some things over here, and there's some things over here. And you know what the Apostle Paul wrote when he wrote to the church at Rome? What shall we say then to these things? 
right? There's some things we can say about these things, some things we can say about these things, right? We preached about that when we, we talked about Romans chapter 8. So we see this contrast of these things. It says, for um, uh, verse 10 says, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Another contrast. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, right? That's what Brother Bill taught us from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right? We having the same spirit of faith. So that's the working of the Holy Spirit, and it's the spiritual faculties by which we know. So here in Romans, in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, the Apostle Paul still believes in those same foundations. God did it. He deserves the glory. We, by the self-same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. All right. This is an important tenet for us to understand. We believe and therefore we speak. Okay? You don't speak yourself into belief. Right? There's something within you that believes, and it is what... That's why a, um, a uh, confession of the mouth is a manifestation of a salvation that's within, right? We don't speak to get something into us, right? We speak because of a salvation that is within us. So, I believed, therefore, have I spoken, right? We believe in a believer's baptism, right? In other words, you say, I want to be baptized because of what Jesus did to me, not, or did for me, not, I, and that's fine too, but I, not that I want to get everything that the Lord did for me, and that's why I'm going to get baptized, Right? That's a, a complete flip on what we find here. So I believed and therefore I was spoken. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall pre present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Remember that's what uh, Brother Bill told us in that first part is God and God alone will receive the glory. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Okay? Again, we've got an outward man, and the outward man is feeling all of these things. We've got the inward man, he's experiencing these things. The outward man is perishing. Okay? He's in the act of dying and dying every day. Okay? But you know what's happening to the spirit over here? Is he just sustaining? Is he just barely getting by? He's renewed every day. How is it that the Spirit is getting renewed by these bad things happening? Okay. These bad things that are happening, they're killing this old flesh. Right? But there's a renewal that comes in, in the Spirit of that trying. Right? There's a destructive part of the trial, right? but there's a constructive part of the trial where every day the Spirit says, Wow, the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while. Okay? See, that next verse says while. It will only work for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not on the things which are seen. Okay? If we look at the things which are seen, if we live over here in this column, right? That's not where we find renewal, right? That's not where the light affliction worketh for us eternal weight and glory. That's where the light affliction eats us up, okay? But what he's saying is, 
there is a way in which even the affliction, okay, even the trials can be constructive for us. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at, which means when we are looking at the things which are not seen. You say, well, Brother Mark, how can you look at things which are not seen? The eye of faith. The eye of faith is what allows us to look at things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. And you know what temporal means? Temporary, right? The things which are seen, and in this case, the things which are seen aren't, aren't that great, right? We don't have to mourn the loss of these things, this wood, hay, and stubble. I'm thankful wood, hay, and stubble are temporary, right? I don't think there's going to be any wood, hay, or stubble in heaven, right? Pearly gates, the, the roads are, are laid with gold. You find any hymns that talk about uh, the wood and the hay and the stubble in heaven? Doesn't seem very heavenly, right? Because it's temporal and temporary. But the things which are not seen are less temporal. <laughs> Quite a bit less temporal. They're eternal, right? Which means the good that we have within us, that we can see by the grace of God, by the working of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, the trial of our faith renews us in those things. And the end of it is we give God the glory, the honor, and the praise. Those things are with us now and will never leave us. And the things that are going to be consumed, uh, those are the things that we didn't need anyway. Right. So what a blessing to once again be in the house of the Lord. Thank you for your kind attention. As we think about um, the trials of this life and being cast down, uh, feeling as though we're pers persecuted, realize that we... Um, as low as we go, there's something lower than us. It's the hand of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're in his hand, and he will not uh, suffer to lose us. He's got us and will never leave us nor forsake us.